In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the afternoon. Welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kulik, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable New England's own Van Helsnick. With me all the way from across the pond, the ghost finder general himself, the star of X-Star Most Wanted, Mr. Richard <laughs> Felix. Good afternoon or good evening. How are you? Well, happy new year to everyone. Yes, it is. Happy New Year. Uh, it's been yep. like forever since the last time I talked to you. Well, it was forever. It was kind of getting on for three weeks, I think. So, uh, yeah, long time. A lot of things happened. It's, uh, is it snowing there? Uh, no. Oh, we've got it. We've got it in a big way. We are in the, in the middle of a big freeze, uh, and it's snowing like mad here. Um, it's wonderful. The, the, everywhere looks absolutely beautiful. And, and but, remember but that... Global warming, you know? So much for global warming. I mean, this is the cold, <laughs> coldest. Uh, this is the coldest uh, December that we were. Well, it was December for thirty years in England. Really? Yeah, 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 yeah. And and uh, the way we're going, we're we're heading for a lot of. Let's say we we've got uh, getting on for about four to no, sorry, uh, six to seven centimeters of snow, which is nothing, nothing for you over there. I know that, but uh, so six to seven. Centimeters, that's what, two and a half? Uh, two and a half inches? inches uh, yeah. Per centimeter, so two and a half, let me see that, five, 15 uh, inches? Yeah. Hey, oh. we haven't got 15 inches. No, 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 no. No. Well, we've got, we've got about. I'm not getting this conversion then. No, uh, we're, we're about three, we've got about two and a half, three inches of snow here. Uh, that's a one centimeter then. Which is nothing compared to what you get over there, but, I yeah, mean, we've I mean, not we, had it for We yet. got nine inches last weekend, so... I mean, oh, boy! Oh, you should be so lucky. I mean, but as I say, this is... We, we've had it, uh, it... It snowed just before Christmas. We actually had snow on the ground just um, at Christmas. Oh, uh, but cool. now... Oh, it was wonderful. It was lovely. And remember, I live, you know, I live a third of a mile across the fields in the middle of... Well... Paradise, basically. Um, so did you get the sleigh out? Uh, oh yeah, we've done a lot. We've been sledging, and uh, yeah, hitch up the horse. We haven't got a horse anymore. Oh, you had the horse. No, our horse and... died. Uh, I'm afraid, but uh, oh, uh, so we couldn't go. No, we couldn't go sleigh riding. But uh, yeah, we've been sledging. We've been snowballing, and um, and built a snowman, and all the silly things that that sixty year old men still do. You know. <laughs> 
big kids. So, so, I mean, have you seen the ghost of your horse? No. Funnily enough, we haven't. No, uh, we've not actually. I'm very, very pleased to report that we actually, as far as I know, don't have a ghost here at uh, at the Sharrow Hall Farm. Uh-huh. Um, because I couldn't cope with it if we had. And don't if forget, you know I, this how? I wouldn't be able to sleep. Yes, but you know this how? I know. You know you have no ghost how? Oh, sorry. Yeah, well, I presume we don't have a ghost because because nobody um, nobody that lives here, that's Julia, me, William, or when Ed lived here, um, ever reported anything serious happening. Um, we've had strange instances. Um, we've got three floors, and, and the top floor was where the, uh, the farm workers used to sleep during harvest time. Um, and it, I don't know, we've been here 20, 25 years in July, uh, and it's the upstairs top floor where the attics were, which is now converted. Uh, you'd go upstairs and the lights would always be on, even though you knew you switched them off. That's all. That's all. And then when Ed was a young boy, he, he we used to have a snooker table up there, and he used to lay claim to the fact that someone finished his snooker game for him. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I always dismiss that as, as, you know, childish imagination, because I didn't really want to accept that there was anything here. But that's that's about it. Oh, no, it's not. Oh, no, it's not. Um, I've just remembered, when, when Ed was... Teenager? No, no, no. When Ed was 22 years of age, he decided to, to use the top floor as a like a a, a flat. Uh, he got a lounge area uh, and a bedroom. And he was the first night he was up there. Uh, about half past two in the morning, he he end, turned up in our bedroom um, with his pillows. <laughs> really? <laughs> something? Yeah, something had pulled the bedclothes down off him in the night. And he's never, ever, ever uh, gone up there since. Um, he, he now has his own, he's got his own mill cottage uh, that goes back to 1797. But uh, he he never slept up there again. And and Will said, ah, a load of old rubbish. Um, and um, decided to have it, have the the upstairs instead. And he had what he well what what we would believe to be. Uh, Sleep paralysis, where he actually sensed that something or someone was holding him down, you know, in the middle of the night. Uh, yeah, but he didn't bother Wills. Wills, Wills continued sleeping up there because nothing frightens William. <laughs> there you go. But I, um, I, I actually it. have a, a acquaintance who represents a, a bunch of gentlemen who did this big thing on sleep paralysis. Oh really? Yeah. yeah. So we should have them on the show. That would be now. That would be really interesting because you see, for me, I mean, I don't know, but it, it, it's a way of, of for the skeptic, uh, the parapsychologist, call them what you will, um, to explain away something that we believe maybe, maybe ghostly, maybe paranormal. Um, it's like um, people saying that. Everyone that has a um, an out of body experience or a near death experience, it's the hallucinative drugs that they're on at the time in the hospital, um, and that's their way of explaining it, isn't it? But is now, it? I don't know. I, I actually, don't. I actually have something to report. Uh, oh, as on. you know, we have a new book that's coming out next October. I do. 
And, and I know you're writing like mad, aren't you? Yes, ghost stories from all over the world, which mm. I find interesting because yes. there are ghosts all over the world, and not just in English England country, <laughs> not yeah. just in English speaking country. Yeah, well, that's what I still, I still, still, still maintain mm-hmm. that ghosts in how can I put it in abundance are something of an English-speaking people's thing. That's America, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales. But I accept, I know what you're saying, um, because there are ghosts in France. There are are ghosts, you know, if there are such things as ghosts, Ron, as we know there are, um, then there are ghosts all over the world. Right. But it's not something that I believe is recognized in the same way as we, uh, we have this culture, a different culture to for them, to continentals, for want of a better word, don't you think? You know, as I've said to you before, you know, there would no, never be such a thing as a, as, a, as a Berlin ghost walk. But how about an Iceland ghost walk? Well, I would have said no, no again. But, but there the, is. There are many Iceland ghost walks. Really? Really. Oh, how interesting. I didn't know that. I am trying to get one of them to have come on the show and talk oh, about yeah. it. yeah. And not only this, let me throw this at you. Yeah. There are naked ghosts. Oh, I know there are. Oh, you do know that. Oh, listen, 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 listen. Yes, I'll tell you how I know before. And, and this is because you know how, what a believer I am in, in this, this uh, theory of, of recordings held right. in the fabric of the building, held in the water right. or anything else. Right. And I, I say, and I say in the book, as you know, um, you know, why aren't all ghosts dark naked? Uh, and the reason they're not is because usually you see them dressed as they were just before they died. And now I'm talking of, I'm not talking of a spirit or a soul, I'm talking of, as you know, of a recording, residual energy, for want of a better word. But in Nottinghamshire, which is not far from me, Sheriff of Nottingham, all that sort of stuff, Robin Hood, there was a battle, uh, the Battle of East Stoke uh, in, oh my God, oh my God, I can't remember the time, 1400 and something or other. And there are reports of naked ghosts seen on the battlefield. Now, the fascinating thing is, and this is where I come in, you see, with my research, some of the soldiers that fought at the Battle of East Stoke were Irish mercenaries. And here's the nasty, frightening bit. They fought naked. That is frightening. I think so. It's a bit like the Scots. To be be honest, if I was fighting... Naked, I don't think I'd be protecting my head too much. I'd be worried about other things. Absolutely right, sir. I mean, oh my God. But talk about, no wonder the enemy ran away. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Because it's the same with the Scots, you know. I don't know if you know this, but um, the the, the Highlanders, um, I'm afraid, as you probably know, it's a well-known fact that they actually wore nothing underneath their kilts. Right. Or underneath their plaids, as they were called. And... Before kilts came along, they, they wore a thing that was called a plaid, or a plaid. And it was a, a, it was, they wrapped it round them. It was like a huge tartan, sort of like blanket, not necessarily tartan. They wrapped it round their, round their, their waist, obviously, as a skirt, for want of a better word, and around their, their, shol- around their, their shoulders. But before right. going into battle, they always discarded their plaid and charged with wearing just their shirt. Which, again, was a terrifying sight, I'm sure. And no wonder the English ran away when the Scots charged. Yeah, I, but, I, I can see this. Yeah, this is... yeah too right. But the fact, fascinating you know, I thing is... I always thought they were civilized people. 
No, no. <laughs> no, no. Definitely not. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know not. if David Wells is going to uh, agree with that, but... Uh... Well, <laughs> you never know. But this is why you see these Irish soldiers on the battlefield stark naked, because that's how they were dressed or undressed just before they died. And the, the residual energy of their image is, is seen by rather terrified uh, people when they see them on the battlefield. But you were going to tell me, again, about naked ghosts. No, I mean, that's, uh, there's, uh, quite a, uh, there's a whole crew uh, of a ship that was, uh, is seen naked. Really? Yes. Walking through oh, the streets of uh, Iceland. Oh, I see. No, true. I wonder why. Because uh, they don't have any clothes? There has to be... <laughs> There has to be a reason. I don't know. Really? I, I just found it. And I've got to look into it more. But I mean, hey, I like. I want. I need a copy of this book. When's it uh, going to be ready? Uh, it will come out in October next year. Fantastic. And it's great because there's a lot of. It's from all different countries, and uh, you know, you expect that maybe uh, you know there wouldn't be that many, but there's 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 all different. Uh, I'm really uh, really interested in this. But Cause, Richard, but yes. What's really interesting, I, I know we have some ghost stories to tell, but... Uh, Indeed we do. I, I've been meaning to tell you this. Uh, but, Richard, what I cannot find, and yes. if anybody out there has any information, I would please contact me at uh, anyghostproject at comcast.net. That's any, like New England, ghostproject at comcast.net. I'll go to the anyghostproject.com site. You can email it from there. If anybody knows any sightings, of Nazi ghosts. Oh, right. I cannot, find, for the life of me, find any sighting of Nazi ghosts. Right. Well, th listen. There's our, there's um, the Tank Museum. Yes. In 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 Dorset. Uh, I'll email this through to you. In, uh, it's, a, it's called Bovington. It's a, an army. It's a it's a. Um, training area for tanks uh, and yep. they've got a big museum there and there's a there's a ghost of a tank uh, a member of the tank crew that haunts the tank and they call him Herman the German but 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 how do we know whether he's a Nazi or not exactly he may be German right. and he may he have fought yep. for the Germans but now that is a very 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 interesting subject uh, my son uh, Ed's just come back from Auschwitz. Uh, uh -huh. um, uh, just before Christmas, literally. And he said it was the most fascinating. And obviously, being into ghosts, interested in ghosts. But again, same thing. He, he, you know, he, the, he doesn't know of any ghost stories from either either um, the inmates, for want of a better word, or the 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 guards. Interesting. Absolutely nothing, because people say that that the, the birds never sing and and all that sort of stuff. And obviously, there's a very you know, but people go there with obviously ideas in their heads anyway. That's going to make them feel rather, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, nostalgic? No, nostalgic is the wrong word. Um, pained, um, concerned, upset, emotional before you arrive. Um, but he found it very moving, extremely moving, and uh, wants to take me back next year to, to see it, and I'd love to go. But, yeah, you know, Nazi ghosts. You are so lucky, Richard. I mean, to, to you, that's just the hot skip and a jump to go to Europe. Oh, literally. 
Oh, yeah, it's it was a three-hour... It's a trek, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Three-hour plane journey to, ah. to Krakow, and um, he had a fantastic time, really enjoyed it. But um, I, it's something that I believe everyone should visit. And, and really we, have, we actually have someone in the uh, chat room on Tojinet that said that... Uh, that they know that Holocaust victims are still trapped in those concentrations. I, I genuinely believe that they, if if my theories are right, <laughs> and we're talking of tra- traumatic, tragic, traumatic, premature death, then we 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 have nothing nothing worse worse that, uh, on on this earth than uh, the trauma that those poor people went through. Um, uh, but I, I don't have any ghost stories. Um, but I wonder if it's because of the nature. Of the, I mean, it's a bit like going looking for ghosts at uh, Ground Zero. You know, you just don't do it. It's, it's, it's you know, it's not, not, it's not tasteful. It's not the done thing, is it? No. Um, but I did, I was, I was on the Queen Mary um, two years ago with, with a guy who, who actually uh, visits... Um, concentration camps uh, in various places and, and swears blind that he, he has photographs of, of, of ghosts that he sees in the, in the walls and, and various things. Um, but again, you know my take on, on ghost photographs. I'm not, I'm not 100% sure. But I am very surprised that no one that we know of, I'd be very interested to hear, as I'm sure you would with, for the book, Ron, if anybody has actually had sightings uh, in 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 death camps of of ghosts because yeah, either, either Nazis to, or, or death camps they would both be interesting. Uh, I mean, uh, when you think about that, I mean, areas of uh, uh, you know, like uh, what's that place where the, the British got their ass kicked by the Turks? Yeah, Guapoli or whatever. Oh, Gallipoli. Yeah, Sugla yeah. Bay, and yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That, I mean, that would. I mean, that must be haunted because they mowed Very. down like uh, wheat in the field. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, funnily enough, um, I've just just had. I was. I did a. I did a very. Uh, funnily enough, I did last week. Uh, last Wednesday, um, I did um, an evening at Derby Jail called Ghost Ghost Stories for Christmas um, at Derby Jail, and and had a very a smashing night telling telling ghost stories. Uh, we had mulled wine and mince pies and various things, and uh, there was a guy. On that evening, who was a um, ex um, soldier mm-hmm. and has now become a tour guide on the Somme in in France, you know, First World War. Right. And he is telling me the number of ghost stories that he knows of, including a, a, a DVD that's actually out by a lady who lives, uh, an, an English lady who lives has a farmhouse on the Somme. And does bed and breakfast, and they've been digging up parts of the the area. They found uh, a dead German soldier with his kit still there, and everything a few months ago. And there are quite a lot of ghost stories to do with again the Somme. You know, eighty five thousand casualties, British casualties on the first day of the Battle of the Somme. Um, and we're talking ghosts, um, which is quite fascinating for me again. Um, but again, these are things I need to let you know about because we're talking France. We're talking of you know places that I say don't have ghosts. You know the French. Um, but yeah, but they were they British soldiers, therefore Correct. they're English speaking. So I mean that would fit yeah. kind of to your correct. But do we have German ghosts on the Somme? 
our French coast. Isn't it interesting? Is it, is it, you know, we need help on this, but it's quite it's quite a fascinating subject. And, and as I say, in other words, are are all are all the ghosts <laughs> on the Somme at Dieppe in Normandy, uh, uh, Omaha Beach? Only uh, American Beach, British. Are Norman. they all English speaking? Interesting. I don't know. Um, okay. Someone out there must do. But we better get one of these stories, and we're going to run out of time. Oh my God! Yeah, well, yes. Who's going to start? You or me? So I want you to start because uh, you are the great storyteller. I oh, am. Thank you very much. The guy. <laughs> okay. Well, listen. Um, I mean, number one, I think it was nice to tell a Christmas. It's the only real Christmas ghost story I've got, and it's um, this goes back to 1776. Uh, in England, and funnily enough, centres a little bit around Derby Jail, uh, around the, obviously the building that, that I that I run. And um, if I just sort of fill in a few of the details first, um, in England there were in the 17th and 18th centuries there were over 200 hanging offences in Great Britain. Uh, you could be hanged for stealing a sheep. You could be hanged for setting fire to haystacks. We actually hanged four men in in Derby in 1817 for setting fire to a haystack. You could be hanged for poaching uh, and appearing on the street with a sooty face. Really? It was a, was a hanging offence because you were either a burglar or you were, you were a, a poacher with a blackened face. Uh, God knows what happened to chimney sweeps, but uh, there you go. <laughs> um, but it was a hanging offence. So what about a murderer? So think about it. You could be hanged for murder, but you could also be hanged for appearing on the street with a sooty face or for stealing a sheep to keep your family alive. So, in 1752, they passed in England the Murder Act, which meant that they were going to torment the souls of the people before they died. And they did that by stating that no murderer was allowed to be buried. They were actually denied the last rites before execution, which, of course, meant... And also, when the judge passed the sentence of death and that you be hanged by the neck until you are dead. He then went on to say, and you will then be publicly dissected in the Shire Hall, or gibbeted. That's hung up 30 feet in the air, near the scene of the murder, in a metal cage, with the crows pecking at your eyes and pecking at your flesh until you eventually drop to pieces, decomposed and fell to pieces. And of course... Remember that, that in the eyes of the church, of course, anybody, if the body wasn't whole and the spirit wasn't whole, and on the day of judgment, when the last trumpet was sounded, if your body wasn't whole, your spirit wouldn't be whole, and you were condemned to burn in hell fire for eternity, thus sending the murderer to hell. And, of course, they knew that before they died, which is one of the reasons I believe that... that, that a lot of people in prisons are still around because they fear divine retribution. They don't move on because they're frightened of burning in hell because it's quite a daunting task. Anyway, in 1776, there was a young man. Uh, it was Christmas, 1776. A guy called Matthew Coughlin, who was an Irishman, and his accomplice, George Foster. And on Christmas Eve, 1776, they broke into the house of a lady called Mary Vickers, who was a, a widow, in, in the centre of Derby. Uh, at about half past one in the morning, they broke into her house, and um, she woke up, got out of bed, and they burst into her bedroom, 
and hit her over the head with a, an iron bar oh. and killed her. Um, they then ripped the rings from her fingers and took the, the gold necklace from around her neck, which left marks on her neck, of course. And somehow, I don't know how, they knew that she got a, a, a box under the floor, under the floor, under the bed with, with money in it. Uh, they, they took the box out and um, took the money. And just at that moment, um, her maid, um, Mary, came down to see what the commotion was and walked into the, into, the, into the bedroom. And the two chaps saw her and screamed at her, go back upstairs to your bedroom, otherwise we'll kill you as well. And she ran back upstairs and hid um, in bed, I presume. Anyway, they left the house with the money and, and the jewellery and, and the poor old lady was, was, was dead on the floor. Um, and then a, a troop of, of minstrels called the Derby Waits, that W-A-I-T-E-S, Waits, they were musicians, uh, were returning from playing carols in the early hours of the morning. And as they went past uh, Mary Vickers' house, they noticed that the door was wide open. And so in they went, uh, just to check what was happening, and heard the sobbing coming from upstairs, and they, they found the maid crying her eyes out, and they went into Mary's bedroom and found her dead on the floor. Um, she was duly, obviously, coffined and, and, and buried, but um, Matthew Coughlin and, um, and George Foster split up. One went to a place called Ashbourne in Derby, and the other one went to Leek. Uh, they eventually made their way to Ireland with the money and took up the, the, the game of um, highway robbery. Uh, they robbed a stagecoach on the way to Dublin, and the guard fired at them and killed George Foster with his blunderbuss. But Matthew was wounded and, and arrested and taken to Kilmainham Jail in 1777 in Dublin. And while, they were, while he was in prison there, waiting trial, someone saw, this just sounds like the Wild West, you know, saw a wanted poster uh, from Derby. And it stated on it, Matthew Coughlin. Irish descent, blah, 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 described him, um, wanted for murder in Derby. So he was sent back to, to Derby, to my jail, to Derby jail, where he was tried and sentenced to hang for murder. But the judge also passed at the end of his sentence that you'd be hanged by the neck until you are dead, and then gibbeted, hung up between heaven and earth, with the wind bleaching your bones, and the crows pecking out your eyes and pecking at your flesh. Now, poor old Matthew Coughlin was obviously terrified of the afterlife, of, of the fear of, of burning in hell, uh, and spent his last night in Derby Jail in the condemned cell um, repenting, but was denied the last rites by the prison chaplain, and the following morning was hanged. They then took him uh, near the scene of the crime, on a hill in, in Derby, where Derby... Derby's uh, infirmary now stands. And they hung him 30 feet in the air um, in a metal cage, swinging in the wind. And um, there were two young lads drinking in a pub, an inn in Derby. And uh, basically they had a wager that neither of them would dare to go up to the, to the gibbet post and offer Matthew Coughlin a bowl of hot soup. But one of them took on the... Uh, the, the, the bet and off they went in the snow up the hill and we'll continue this 
after the break, won't we, Ron? Oh. We'll be right I'll back. Tell you, I'll, listen to I'll tell you what happened. Like Net. They, <laughs> they get to that story. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give awards to the Parrax family. Join us for what now? Helping women create the life they deserve with Lori Giles. Tuesday afternoons at 4, 3 Central on Toginet.com. If you need answers to life's tough questions, ask Lori. Lori Giles is a professional life coach and attorney focused on helping women get through important life transitions, and she's the author of the What Now series. Through her coaching firm, Your Right Track, Giles has helped countless women cope with life-changing events such as divorce, empty nest syndrome, the death or disability of a spouse, and the challenges of coping with aging or sickly parents. Her unique perspective as both an attorney and life coach allows her to help women navigate through the legal and emotional practices of What Now Moments and the psychological issues of gaining self-confidence to be a single parent and the stress of being a part of this scattered, frenetic lifestyle known as the sandwich generation. For more information on Lori and her books, go to LoriGiles.com. Don't miss What Now with Lori Giles, Tuesday afternoons at 4 Eastern, 3 Central on Toginet.com. We are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Richard Felix and Ron Kolick and... What the heck happened, Richard? And the ghost story of Matthew Coughlin, who was gibbeted in Derby in 1777. Anyway, the two young lads, uh, one of them took on the wager, the bet, and they got the uh, the landlady of the local inn to prepare a bowl of boiling hot broth soup to take up to Matthew Coughlin. They walked up the hill. It wasn't far away, actually, from uh, uh, from the gibbet post, up the hill. And they managed to secure a ladder, and the young lad climbed up the ladder to where the the bleaching bones, the the rotting body of Matthew Coughlin was was swinging in the in the breeze, and he held the bowl of boiling hot soup to the lips of of the body, and said to it, "Hey, up, Matthew," he says, "I've brought thee a bowl of piping hot soup," and a voice came from the back of the of the of the corpse and said, then thou'd better blow on it, hadn't thou? And the young lad, absolutely terrified, fell off the ladder into the snow on the floor and the two of them ran off, terrified, thinking that they'd heard the ghost of Matthew Coughlin talking to them. And as they ran off, from the back of the gibbet post came out a midget, a, a character in Derby called Squeaking Jemmy, who was a midget and was a ventriloquist. Aww. And they'd been set it. They'd been set up by the landlord of the pub, and the two lads were absolutely terrified because they thought that the ghost of Matthew Coughlin had actually spoken to them. But it doesn't quite end there. 
because where the gibbet post was erected all those years ago in 1777 is now the site of one of the operating theatres for the old Derbyshire Royal Infirmary. And that operating theatre, as other parts of the Derbyshire Royal Infirmary, are extremely haunted. There's all manner of poltergeist activity goes on in the building, and people on frequent occasions have reported seeing a man wearing rags walking down the corridors of the Derbyshire Royal Infirmary. And I just wonder, I don't know, but is that, Really, the ghost, the tormented soul of Matthew Coughlin that still haunts the, dark, the site where he was hung up in chains all those years ago. Nobody knows. <laughs> that was That's a good start. Scary. That was a good start. Took, we broke it up took longer than I thought. Took longer than I thought. But, um, much longer than I thought. Yeah, <laughs> well, <laughs> have you got one? Well, you know, I don't know if I want to go into the story, but I I like yours. But I actually have something to report. There's, there's a girl, that, a young lady that listens to our, uh, our show all the time by the name of uh, Lee, uh, Lee, or whatever it is. Right. Anyways, and it, it's really funny because there is a um, woman by the name of Margaret Lee, who is, by the way, British, I believe. And she, yeah was a witch, and Ooh. and they actually called her Molly Lee. Oh, right. Yeah, so, I mean, I guess I wasn't too far off with the Lay Lee thing. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. <coughs> <laughs> what I do want to report is that I'm doing more research for this book that I'm writing, and I came yeah. across this article about Most Haunted and a certain incident that happened in the forest and with Derek Akura and it's about this, some, this highwayman. Do you know anything about this, Richard? I would think it must be uh, when they were doing the, we were doing In Search of Dick Turpin. It is. The highwayman. Dick Turpin. In what, Epping Forest. What can you tell me about this? This seemed like it was pretty, pretty hairy from what I, I heard from well, I, I'm, I'm trying to think, because basically one of the funniest things, actually, that happened in the forest, there was Derek, um, Yvette, and uh, Phil Wyman, who was the paranormal investigator. So I was actually in the studio um, on my desk doing the live and I, as, as the historian. Mm-hmm. And the fascinating thing is, <laughs> I don't know this is the best, that they actually got lost That's what I in heard. the forest, live. They actually got lost live, and it was absolutely fantastic, because they were... They, they were frightened to death. Um, not necessarily the ghosts, but of the fact that they were in the deep, deep forest in the middle of nowhere. And um, they couldn't find their way out. And, and they were live on TV. And I remember Yvette, Yvette actually, by mistake, calling it Effing Forest instead of Epping Forest. <laughs> even, even funnier. But, I mean, that's the only bit. But I, I'm not sure what happened. That was, that, that was the scariest thing. And that was real. They genuinely had to get a ranger to come out uh, to find them, to get them out of... And that's the beauty of live TV, of course. Yeah, Nobody I mean, it, it wasn't put on. This is, really, this is what really happened. Yeah, and, and do you know what, Ron? The funny thing is that some of those incidents that happened live on, on some of the most haunted are the, are the bits that people actually remember more more than anything else. There was, a, there was another one uh, where... 
trying to think where it was. It was down in Essex, and I'm not sure whether it wasn't on the same sh- same live program, where Yvette actually got stuck in the mud, and she had <laughs> she got Vera Wellington's on. Really? They had, yeah, they actually had to extract her. She fell over in the in the deep deep mud on the, on the, on the where the you know where the beach was, and they actually it had to pull her out of her Wellingtons and carry her away from the mud. Uh, and her Wellingtons were still sat there in the mud, stuck in the mud. And people, people, I always remember that and talk about it so so, so much, so often. Um, another one was New Year's Eve. We were doing it was the, hey, listen, this is all from the same program. In search of Dick Turpin, and it finished in York. You're right. Because Dick, right. Dick Turpin was hanged uh, in yeah. York in uh, 1730 odd, 1737, I think. Anyway, at the end of the show. Matthew Smith, who, as you know, has been on the show a uh, couple of times now, was was asked to go out alone along the race course in, in York in the snow. It was snowing really quite heavily, funnily enough, in, in on New Year's Eve. And um, he was walking along, going towards the gallows, where the site of the gallows, where... Um, where Dick Turpin and, and a lot of other people were hanged, and there's various ghost stories to do with it. Uh, and Matthew was quite happily walking along, and all of a sudden, two figures appeared out of the middle of nowhere with a lantern, with one of the old-fashioned paraffin-type uh, hurricane lam- lamps walking towards him. Absolutely frightened him to death. And it was a, it was an elderly couple that had taken themselves out for a walk because apparently it was the, their anniversary. They'd been married so many years earlier on, on New Year's Eve, um... 1940-something, and they'd gone for a walk along the race course. And nothing more than that. They weren't ghosts. They were real people. <laughs> the number of, number of people that remember that incident of Most Haunted. Right. No, nothing to do with ghosts at all. Needless to say, there was a change of underwear involved. Absolutely right. He had to change his brown corduroys and his underwear. <laughs> Absolutely right. Um uh. But I mean, I tell you what, I've got, I don't think I've, I've got very interesting, because I, I, when I'm doing my talks, and you, you've probably heard me say this, I, I say I've seen a ghost, I've heard a ghost, and I've travelled with a ghost. Uh, and that's the one that people always say to me, well, you travelled with a ghost? And I say, oh yeah, yeah, I don't know whether you've, you've heard me tell this, Ron, have you? But um, basically, um, I was, as you know, I was, I was a soldier, I was, I was in the Territorial Army. Um, which is the equivalent, I think, of your National Guard. And I went to the Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst, which is like your West Point. Um, and my dad was very proud, very proud of me, because he always wanted to be a soldier. Uh, but being a businessman, being a record dealer, uh, never never got the time, never did it. And so I suppose, to a certain extent, lived his life, tried to live his life through me. He was very, very proud of the fact that I'd become a soldier and I was commissioned, became an officer. And um, he always allowed me to go off, although he ran the business, I was always allowed to go off and do what I wanted when it was soldiering. I had to get married, by the way, on a bank holiday Monday. <laughs> because you had to get married, Richard? I don't think I want to know this. Well, no, the reason was because was I couldn't have a Saturday off because it was the busiest day of the week. But, oh. I could go, I, but I could go away at the weekend soldiering <laughs> that was okay. Anyway, anyway, basically, what what happened every, every year? Every year for the last since 1991, we've had a parade through the streets of Derby, which I I instigated uh, to commemorate Bonnie Prince Charlie, 
who turn back at Derby. Uh, and we have a, there's a film, I don't know whether you know of it or seen it over there, it's a film called Barry Lyndon. Uh, fascinating uh, 17th century thing about soldiers. And every year, I used to borrow the, the Redcoats uniforms who, who from, from the Royal Military Academy at Sandhurst. And there was a very good friend of, of mine and my dad's, and he was a professor, uh, David Chandler, and he was head of war studies at the Royal Military Academy. So a real credible guy, not the sort of guy that tells or sees ghosts or, or, or anything like that. And we used to borrow them every year, and I always used to go down to Sandhurst to get the uniforms uh, just before Christmas, because the parade used to be the 4th and 5th of December every year when Bonnie Prince Charlie was in Derby. And Dad and I used to go down. Dad always used to come with me, get them, um, because he liked going to Sandhurst with me. And then in 1992, in February 1992, my father died. And for some reason, I don't, still don't know why, I delayed taking the uniforms back. And we're talking of like 40-odd, you know, red coats, tricorn hats, breeches. And, and I just left them, just left them there. And, and anyway, uh, Dad died in February. And in the, in the June... Professor Chandler, David Chandler, rang me up and said to me, are, are you bringing them back, Richard, or are we going to have to, you know, are you going to keep them till next year? I said, no, 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 David, I'll, I'll bring them back. I'm sorry, you know, obviously with what happened, and everything else, I've just sort of not got around to doing it. So I loaded the uniforms up in the back of me. I got a Volvo estate at the time, and my wife, Julia, said, I'll, I'll come with you. And I said, no, there's no need, I'm, I'm fine, I'll, I'll go alone. And my brother said to me, shall I come? I'll come down. I said, no, not a problem. No, I'll, I'll go on my own. I don't have a problem with it at all. Obviously, I suppose there was something at the back of my mind because it's obviously somewhere that my dad always used to come with me, you see. So I drove down, not a problem, down to um, the Royal Military Academy, Sandhurst. And this was 1992. And there was still, to be honest with you, there had been IRA problems. And there was the Regiment of Gurkhas, that were on guard duty outside the, the, in the, in the guard room. And I remember sitting there outside, seeing these Gurkhas, and the year before, obviously, my dad had been with me, and he'd, he'd actually sat there and he said to me, um, do you think they've got real bullets in the guns? And I said, you two bet, right they have. Of course they have, bound to have. And I arrived at the guardhouse, and I thought, oh, God, you know, last year, dad had said the Gurkhas were still there. And I was thinking about what he'd said. You know, do they have bullets, you see? And anyway, what happened was I had to wait. Uh, we had to ring through. I wasn't allowed in. And David Chandler had to come and fetch me in his car. So I sat there waiting, just thinking about what Dad had said. And he arrived, and I signed in at the guard room, and then I had to drive through and follow him down through the camp. And it was, I would think, a quarter of a mile down these twisty roads to, to, to David's office. And I followed him all the way down, and then he pulled up outside his office, and I pulled up alongside him. And he jumped out of the car and came over to the car, and, and I opened the door and said, Richard, hello, would you and your... Oh. And stopped. And I thought, what's he mean? What's he on? So I got out of the car, and, and, and I went over to him, and he shook hands with me, and he said, oh, how strange. He said, do you know, he said, I thought you'd brought your wife with you. 
And I said, I'm sorry, David. He said, well, that's so strange because there was someone in your passenger seat. And, and I presumed it was your wife. Well, my wife, as you know, and you've met Julie, she's four, five feet, blonde and feminine. And my dad was, was 83 years old and, and male and, and, and very grey. And I said, David, I'm sorry, I don't know what you mean. He said, well, let me explain something to you, Richard. He said, the whole time that you were following me down through the camp, and remember, I, he said, I was keeping you, my eye on you in my mirror all the time. The whole time you were following me, there was someone sitting in your passenger seat. And I said, oh, my God. And he said, and I just put two and two together, as everyone does, and thought your wife would come with you. I said, well, no. He said, and then he turned to me and he said, you don't think it was father, do you? And I said, David, I don't know. Oh, my God. I said, but I, I actually went back in the car and moved the, the Coke bottle off the seat and, 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 and the, the mat book off the seat. And, and I don't, they, they, I never saw, Ron, I never saw a thing. I never, I never saw him. I never sensed him. I never felt, I, but, but this guy, this, this guy who was in his early 70s, Professor David Chandler, head of war studies of the Royal Military Academy, Sandhurst, saw someone sitting in the passenger seat next to me in his mirror all the way down. And, of course, remember that I'd been thinking about my dad. I, I, I don't know. All I know is that when I got home, I told my wife, I told my brother, and I, I have, ever since that day, I've always felt that he's been with me in some way and I genuinely believe that he was with me on that journey down to Sandhurst all those years ago um, is that a ghost story what is a ghost I, I don't know we actually have someone in the chat room away uh, from uh, Canada who says that she had a ghost nurse look after her while she was in the hospital uh, yeah so, now listen a ghost nurse I, I hear, you see, you, as you know, you all know that I, I've been doing ghost walks around the city of Derby and York and various other places for the last 17 years. And, and I, I would say that we've probably taken, you know what, getting, getting on for a million people uh, on ghost walks. And of course, I, I don't just, I'm not one of these guys that just stands and talks. I talk to people. Uh, they tell me their stories. And I do lots of, I've done lots of events and, and ghost walks and things for, 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 for hospitals and nurses. And the number of, of nurses and, and people from hospitals that tell me of hauntings. But I don't believe that hospitals are necessarily haunted by the ghosts of dead patients. I think they're haunted by the ghosts of dedicated nurses that have stayed on. Possible. No, I wondering. think so. I mean, they give so much life and, and so much yeah. energy into yeah. their job that yeah. it would make sense in a way. I think so. Uh, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying that there aren't um, ghosts of, of patients who died under traumatic conditions, and again, there may be, there may be the, the occasional recordings, you know what I mean, in the fabric of the building again, if it was a very tragic and traumatic death. But, you know, I'm, I'm a great believer in, as, as you know, I'm talking now of, a, of, a, of an intelligence, of a spirit, soul, an entity, uh, uh, people that choose to stay uh, because they like the house, because they love the car, 
or because they loved the job that they were in. And matrons, sisters, dedicated nurses, and doctors, I think, that for some reason loved the profession, loved their job so much that they've actually decided to stay. And again, I hear very similar stories to what you said this lady said, that people have, a nurse has come to them in the night, uh, a little nurse, um, often because the, the, the floor level perhaps of the, of the hospital has changed since the days that that nurse was there. And so they appear to be smaller than they were. Uh, I've had two stories in the last few weeks, funnily enough, of uh, concerning bedpans. <laughs> and nurses who have actually brought a bedpan to somebody in the night. Oh, I thought you were saying haunted bedpans. Well, <laughs> well, there are haunted toilets, so I suppose perhaps there should be haunted bed. But no, I mean, one only a few few weeks ago where this lady was telling me um, that she, she was a, she was a, um, a nurse. Uh, she was on night duty. And um, there was this particular patient who at a certain time of, of the night, she would, you know, the, he, he would ring the bell uh, for a bedpan. And it, she said he was very consistent. It was at a similar time of the night. And something happened. She can't, I can't remember what, but she missed taking in the bedpan. And then thought, oh, my goodness me, it's it's quarter of an hour. It's the time for, for whatever his name was to ring the bell. I'd better go and check if he's all right. And she went to check and found him on the bedpan. And another nurse had brought the bedpan to him. But it was a little nurse, a grey, very grey-looking nurse, wearing, and he described her as wearing an old-fashioned uniform. In other words, she'd missed him, but the ghost of whatever nurse was still there on that ward had stepped in and saved the day. And brought in the bedpan. But, you know, well, who would make up a, a slightly embarrassing story like that? You know, you'd stay away from toilets and bedpans if you want to make a story up. But no, she told me that, and I believe her. Interesting. I think so. I mean, I that, think so. that's the fascinating thing, what we do. There are so many stories out there. And yet these people have these stories, and they would never tell anyone. But yes. when they have someone like you and myself and other researchers to go out there and, and show that, you know, we don't think you're crazy. We, we want to hear your story. Yeah. We want you to share it with us. And, the, and they're more than willing to do it. Yeah, they are. There's no... Uh, but, I mean, the funny thing is that that years ago, I mean, obviously people like you and I who, who are sympathetic to the subject, they, they I think this is one of the reasons we get told these stories, they know we're not going to laugh at them. Right. They know that we're genuine. They know that we're in it for the right reasons, and they're, they're very keen to, to share with us their, their experiences, their, their, even if they are slightly embarrassing, and some of them are. Sometimes they are embarrassing, but they are prepared to tell us. But the fascinating thing is that when I started doing this, and I'm talking about 17 years ago, it, when I sit in a pub, and, and I always do two haunted pubs on every ghost walk that I do, because we're talking of a three-hour ghost walk, um, I ask people in one of the pubs, right, how, how many people here, how many of you have seen a ghost or heard a ghost or, or, or sensed a ghost? And 17 years ago, if I got 40 people on a ghost walk, I would be lucky if three people put their hand up and admitted to seeing a ghost. 
But I would then, after that pub, I would have people come up to me in the next pub or on the way around and say, well, actually, I, I, have, I have seen a ghost. But, but I, wasn't, I wasn't going to tell you in front of those people because they expect to be... They, in those days, they expected to be ridiculed. They expected people to laugh at them. Making jokes, oh, yes, you'd been drinking, you'd this, that, and the other. Right. But now, now, 17 years on, 2010... If I've got a group of 40 people sitting in the pub and I say, right, how many, how many of you have seen a ghost or heard a ghost or sensed a ghost? Out of 40 people, I can guarantee anything between 10 and 15 people putting their hands up. And you'll never hear anyone laugh at them either or make a joke. And then they're all prepared to tell me their story. Now... What that means, it doesn't mean that more people are seeing ghosts. It just means that people have always seen ghosts, but they're now prepared to talk about it. Whereas 17, 20 years ago, they were not, because obviously there weren't, well, there were programs around like, like Ghost Hunters and Most Haunted and Living with the Dead. You know, people, are, people have always experienced ghosts, uh, but were too embarrassed to talk about it because they feared ridicule whereas now not a problem people are people are are telling us their stories far more than they used to um and it makes you realize how, how much of the population have had some form of ghostly experience richard i actually have a, a unique experience coming up uh a week from saturday yeah, I will. I will be hosting at the Circles of Wisdom in Andover a uh, movie night, uh, and the movie is going to be on Orb. Sorry, the movie's going to be on Orbs, O-R-P-S, which is interesting because you know I have the scientific background. I know that a lot of orbs are dust particles, water yes. vapor, yada yada yada. So yes. I have never seen this movie, and they asked me, "Well, do you want to see the movie?" Yeah. Or, uh, go that night, and, and I decided, no, I don't. I want to be there, and I want to experience it with the other people, and mm. I want to see what I get out of that movie, and being hosted, and we're going to have a discussion afterwards and so forth, and so it's, it's going to be kind of a unique thing, because, hey, uh, you know, I, I, I know what, that what some orbs are, but mm. let's, let's see what this other point of view is. Maybe there's something that I'm overlooking. Maybe yeah, there is, yeah. you know, so, well, if you're uh, like me, Ron, you've got an open mind. Hmm? And you're prepared to, you know, we, we are prepared to change our views if someone comes up with another explanation. So is this, is this a, when you say a movie, I mean, yeah. are we talking of, a, of, a, of a, a documentary type of program or are we talking of, a, of a, an entertainment type movie that's been Not made? an entertainment. I, I don't believe it's an entertainment. No, no. It's not like the Sixth Sense or the others or, or, or Ghost. No, no, no. I believe this is, uh, you know, I don't know much about it, uh, which is kind of cool. Yeah. You know, you know uh, a while back, about two years ago or a year ago, there was this gentleman who took all these pictures and got all these orbs in it. And yeah. his daughter had just died, and he came up with this book with all the pictures of his daughter, which were orbs. And the newspaper contacted me, and they asked me, um, 
you know, what I thought of orbs and so forth. And, and mm-hmm. I said, well, you know, I have my degree in environmental science, and I know scientifically that you can reproduce orbs, yada, yada, by water, vapor, dust particles, the, the whole thing. Yeah, okay? yeah. But, but I also added that I have, first of all, I have not seen these pictures, so I can't really comment on them mm-hmm. directly. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I really don't, wasn't there at the time they were taken, so I really don't know. No, so what happened is uh, they published the, the article, of course, with my comments, and, and the, the gentleman got quite upset, and he wrote me a rather extensive email telling me I, I didn't know what I was talking about and everything else. Oh. But it, that's not what I said. Uh, no, you know, no. he, he, he wasn't open enough to you know, even look at it at another point of view. So, oh, right. That's not fair, is it? Because right, you know, we all right. have our own points of view. But as I say, you've got an open mind, and you are prepared. We're, we're learning, Ron, all the time, aren't we? Oh, absolutely. And, no. and that's what it's all about, um, learning more and accepting what people tell us. Um, right. No, nobody because... knows everything except perhaps Christopher Watkins, but other than that... Uh... <laughs> yeah. No, you're absolutely right. No, we, none of us know. You know, here we are talking, we've been talking ghosts for a year now. It's nearly a year since I started coming on the show, isn't it now? Absolutely. Um, and um, none of us know any more than when we started. Not really. Or, or... Well, I think we know a little bit. I think we, we are learning. We're uh, learning we're all on the time. A, we're on a journey and we're gathering information we along the way. We are. But we but, have no proof. No, we have no proof. But isn't anyway. unbelievable? If anybody does want to join me, that's uh, on uh, January 16th, that's Saturday night at the Circles of Wisdom. It's like five bucks, you know, I mean, and, and you get to have me as well, so I'll be Can I come? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'd love to. I'd love and, to. Uh, and I'm, I'm actually really quite interested. When he first asked me, I said, oh, Orbs, oh, my God. Yeah, but, you exactly. Know, I, I want to see this. I want to see what this film is about. I want to, you know... Maybe I'll learn something, you know? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah, and, and hopefully we'll have a good discussion afterwards and, and see what's going on. Sounds good to me. You must let me know. Let us know, will you, next week? Or not next week. Let us no, know what we, it's all about, will you? Yes, yes I will. Very interested. Very so, interested. You have, I know we're just about out of time. Do you have anything uh, you want to mention? Uh, well, just very quickly, but, but hopefully. It all depends on next week, whether what we've got on. But I've actually I've got a TV uh program that I'm, I'm doing from a very haunted stately home in Derbyshire called Tissington Hall. Now, I'm going to be there, and I, I, I will I'll obviously talk to you about this in the, in, in the week, but I will be at Tissington Hall um, while the show's on. So I would like to do the show live from Tissington Hall and hopefully get uh, Sir Richard Fitzherbert, who owns Tissington Hall, to actually t- talk to us about his, his ghost stories. Let's about make his ancestor Wilhelmina. Let's so absolutely will, make this happen. This this should be really good. It will just be a case of uh, a phone call uh, from Tiss- T- Tissington Hall, which I'll speak to you about. But I'm hopefully getting Sir Richard Fitzherbert to talk to us about his ghosts on the show next week. That would be absolutely phenomenal. Well, Richard, once again, it's been a pleasure talking with me. And, and uh, I look forward to next week. It should be really interesting. We look forward to it, guys. And a new year. So good night and God bless everyone. Happy New Year, everyone. Bye-bye. From ghoulies to ghosts. What's your story? Are you living it? Well, you could be. It's What's Your Story with Hillary Bilbrey. Friday mornings at 10 Eastern, 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Her passion.